Well, uh, I have in my notes that I was going to point your attention to outside, to gaze at something glorious we haven't seen in a few days. But alas, there's no sun still. <laughs> what a dreary week it has been here in West Tennessee. All the, the rain, the fog, the gray skies, the cloud cover, it's been awful. Only the strangest sort of person enjoys this kind of weather. Isn't that right, Deacon Nan? (laughs) But for most of us, we long for a new day. My wife and I, we we love the summer. We love sunshine, taking trips to the lake. And so every year when the fall starts to creep in and the temperatures drop, we enter into a state, a season of mourning. For we know that things are are, are only going to get worse. The dark afternoons... The bitter cold, the ice storms, yes, the school cancellations, it's horrible. But then, after a few months, as daylight increases, the circuit of the sun keeps tracking higher each day. The trees start budding again. Man, oh man, our spirits are lifted, for a new day has dawned. Even as I say this aloud right now, I can't wait for the spring to get here. Well, this, my friends, is a fitting picture of Advent. For Advent, at its heart, is a season of waiting out the dark, waiting out the cold, waiting for the sun to come again. And as we wait, we do so in a world where we really don't want to go outside because it's gross outside. Nothing good appears to be happening. Nothing warm is being kindled. There's war and political corruption. There's sickness and death. There's pain and abuse, loss and trauma. Who wants to hang out in Advent? Not even Deacon Nan, I would surmise. But the sobering reality is this. We live our lives always in the season of Advent. It's a little confusing because Advent marks the beginning of our church calendar year. But we start our year not by going way back in the past, but by taking stock of our present moment. And in this present moment, the world goes not well. In this present moment, we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, disperse the gloomy clouds of night. In this present moment, we are waiting for Jesus to come again and put things to right. My friends, for us, it's always Advent. Which means it's it's easy to lose hope, isn't it, living in this perpetual winter I mean, even as Christians, even with the promise that surely the Lord is coming soon, it's difficult sometimes not to wonder wonder if we've missed something. If we're just making this whole thing up as we go along. If we're just placating our pain with platitudes. Is God going to do something about this present darkness? Is a new day really on the horizon? Is Jesus really the one who is to come, or should we be looking for something else? 
Seems like we've heard these words before. Yes, in our gospel reading this morning from Matthew 11. And what a surprise it is that these words are coming from the lips of none other than John the Baptist himself, the cousin and forerunner of Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, he says, or are we to wait for another? Last week, we had our first look at this character named John, and boy, was his tone miles away from what we hear today. Back in chapter 3, John was so confident, a fiery prophet, fearless in the face of religious authorities, brazen to call people to repentance, to get their lives in order because the Messiah is coming, and he is coming to deliver them out of their perpetual winter. And how was the Messiah going to do this? Well, according to John, he was going to bring the heat. With his winnowing fork in hand, the Messiah was going to clear the threshing floor and burn away the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Those are John's words. And he had no doubt about it. But that was then. This is now. What once felt so certain, so crystal clear in John's mind had now melted away. I thought Jesus was going to be the one who would set the captives free, and yet here I am, wasting away in prison. I thought Jesus was going to light a fire up in the evil power structures of the day, do something grand and revolutionary, apocalyptic even. But now I'm not so sure. Nothing dramatic has taken place. All I hear is that Jesus is befriending tax collectors and sinners, gaining a reputation as a glutton and a drunkard, spending his time up in Galilee instead of on the front lines of Judea. Jesus, he doesn't seem to be following the messianic script. And so, Jesus, are you really the one who is to come or are we to wait for someone else? I would imagine that many of you here this morning can relate to how John is feeling at this moment. Perhaps there have been seasons in your walk with Christ, seasons when you were younger, when everything seemed so clear, and you were full of confidence. Every question had a neat and tidy answer. Everything felt so black and white. But now you, you look back at your former self and you wonder how you could have been so naive because you've learned through the hard knocks of life that things are much more complicated than you were taught. You've seen Christian leaders fall, godly people suffer, wicked people ease their way to the top, huge segments of the church co-opted by political agendas. And so you can't help it now but to be a bit cynical. The tight little systems of belief that once gave you great comfort, well, they feel pretty flimsy now. Now there's a lot more gray, a lot more uncertainty than you're used to. The sun rarely comes out, and even when he does, he appears to go off script. And so you wonder, is Jesus really the one who is to come? Or should I be looking for something else? 
There is comfort in knowing that a faith as strong as John's is capable of a doubt as strong as ours. No, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness if you're on a similar track as John was. In fact, I would say it's quite normal. It means your faith is on the move. You're, you're paying attention. You're, you're, you're open to learning and growing. But this is a different sort of education. It's a disorienting one. I mean, as Jesus, you know, as he, as he fails to deliver on what John expects from him, so Jesus often fails to deliver on what you expect from him. That's disorienting. As Jesus fails to fit comfortably into John's theology, so Jesus often fails to fit neatly into our own theological categories. That is disorienting. But this is what Jesus does. Not because he's looking to let us down, but because our expectations of him are too often out of whack. So that when Jesus does come into our lives, more often than not, he is not the Messiah we were looking for. Because really, when it comes down to it, we do want a Messiah who will bring the heat, who will take out our enemies, put good Christian people in power so that the kingdom of God will come from the top down. We pray to a Messiah in the hope that he will control all those people in our lives for our own benefits. Not that we would ever put it that way, but just listen to our prayers. Listen to the expectations that undergird our everyday request. And then when Jesus does show up, or perhaps doesn't show up the way we thought he would, we're we're just left to scratch our heads. What is he doing? Where's the fire? Why isn't he changing the world the way I wanted him to? Why isn't he making this or that person change their life? Why does it appear that Jesus is working from a different script altogether? Well, my friends, that's because he is. Go and tell John what you hear and see, Jesus says. And then he quotes his script, using language straight from our Old Testament reading today in Isaiah 35 a portion of which says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Go and tell John that, that according to Isaiah, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. This is the script I'm working from. I'm not working from your script, Jesus says. You see, Jesus is hoping to move John to a different understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about and of how the Messiah operates in and for this world. He's trying to teach John, John, listen, the Messiah doesn't hobnob with those elites in the capital city trying to retool the power structures of the day. No. He draws near to those on the margins, those out in the Galilean countryside, restoring them to health, restoring them to society. John, the Messiah isn't mustering troops for a show of force in order to fight some just war. 
No, he's, he's laying hands on lepers and speaking good news to the poor. You see, Jesus wanted to shatter each and every messianic expectation of his day that didn't align with the way of the cross, that didn't align with the way of servanthood and unconditional love. And he wants to do the same for us today. He wants to rearrange our conceptions of God, our expectations of how the Messiah ought to act, of how the kingdom of God is meant to come into our world. And so the question is, can we accept his script? Can we accept Jesus as he is rather than the Jesus that we want him to be? Can we readjust our own conceptions, our own expectations in light of the upside-down ways of Jesus? I was in a discussion group this past week reflecting on a series of articles that proposed a way forward for the American church today. It was a great discussion, very thought-provoking, but one of my biggest pushbacks was that it ultimately called the American church to operate in ways that felt at odds with the Jesus presented in the gospel. While there was much to learn from these articles, the proposal's main goal was to call the church to create these commanding networks and institutions aimed to increase the church's cultural power. It suggested that our only hope as the church was to spark some kind of movement that would sweep across this land with its strength of number. And I get it. I understand the intention behind that desire. For yes, we live in dark times. We live in Advent. But listen, just because we're imprisoned in a dark cell... That shouldn't lead us to expect things from Jesus that he is not. Because the way of Jesus is always the way of weakness, not strength. There were many times in Jesus' ministry when he would turn around and see these great crowds of people flocking to him. And that bothered him. All these large numbers, it always gave him great concern. And you know what he would do? He would see these large crowds and he'd start pumping the brakes. He'd say something hard at that point, something that would remind the people what he was truly about. And what did it do? It always thinned the crowds. It never increased them. And so, yes, Jesus is the kingdom bringer, but too often we forget how Jesus brings the kingdom. We forget that that the kingdom of God comes when Jesus lays down his life for the life of the world. And yes, the kingdom comes the same way today. The kingdom still comes today when his followers follow in his footsteps. When we join him in the long defeat, when we join him out there on the margins, laying hands on modern-day lepers, offering the smallest acts of kindness with the greatest amount of love. It's a path that doesn't make sense to our world, but it is the script our Messiah is working from, and it's a script we're meant to follow. The other day, a young woman here at All Saints was in a checkout line at Kroger, and she noticed the lady that was checking out her groceries and 
Her eyes were holding these heavy tears, and clearly she was distressed about something. And so this, this woman from All Saints, feeling compassion for her, didn't know exactly how she should respond, what she should do. But as she walked to her car, she realized that, well, she had just purchased some Hallmark cards. And so immediately it hit her. She would stop right there and, and, and write, write her a note of encouragement. And so in her car, she wrote something like this. She says, hey, hey girl, I see you. I see your tears. I know, I don't know what is causing you pain right now, but know that you are seen. Know that God loves you. And there is another side of things that is on its way. And she marched right back into the store and handed the card to the checkout lady and turned around and walked right back out. Nothing huge, nothing dramatic, but it was according to script. So you go and tell John that the downcast are lifted up and that the unseen are seen and that words of encouragement are spoken even to those who are so often overlooked. Most of you know Celeste Pope here at All Saints, this quiet and behind-the-scenes servant of our church. He's not here today. They're in Phoenix. But a couple of weeks ago, Celeste was getting her hair cut. And as she was sitting there, she overheard the stylist next to her complaining. Not only had a client canceled on her at the last minute, but her back was killing her. Apparently, though she was a young woman, this stylist had been suffering from significant back pain over the last few years. Well, in that moment, as Celeste was listening in, the Lord impressed upon her to offer prayer. And so after her haircut, Celeste asked if, if she could pray for her, and the stylist said, that's fine. And so Celeste gets up out of her chair. She lay, lays her hands on this lady's back and prays for God to grant her relief. And since then, we've learned that for at least two weeks, the pain has completely disappeared. Again, nothing huge, nothing dramatic, just operating from another script. So you go and tell John that the hurting are healed and that there are silent servants among us announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. My friends, yes, it's cold and dark outside. The sun isn't shining. The world goes not well. But a new day is on the horizon. The kingdom of God is breaking in in the most peculiar of ways through the most peculiar of persons in Jesus, and through the most peculiar of groups, a people devoted to living out the unexpected script of their Messiah. Lord, help us to be faithful to that script. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.